0: Hello, and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillon And Stephen Craig. And this is episode number 59.
1: 59. And we have an
0: announcement, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, So Macrofab and Mauser Electronics have teamed up to create a free monthly meetup in Houston for anyone involved with hardware and electronics engineering or manufacturing.
0: Yeah, we're going to be doing this uh, the last Wednesday of every month. Yep. Um, so, so starting in April, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the start, uh, um, starting month. Yeah. So the link to it will be in the show notes. We'll probably tweet about it. Um, I think it's on Eventbrite. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah right. So you go over in there and just probably search either Mauser or Macrofab and bam, pop up. Right. And, uh, it's free to attend. Yep. We'll have food, drinks. Um, so be a good time. Um, other things. This is like the list of things that our marketing people want us to say. <laughs> what to expect? Networking, fireside chats and Q and A, individual project sharing and discussion, door prizes. Ooh. Ooh. Um, I- unfortunately, I don't think we can win one of these door prizes, but. I wish we could. That'd be awesome. Uh, refreshments and free parking, which I, I looked at and was like, <laughs> really. And I, he's like, hey, it's better. I like how free parking is like a perk. Yeah, perk. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's just
1: going to be a meetup where we can kind of hang out and chat and talk shop and uh, and and have fun
0: at the fab. Yeah, and the they're like, I guess the people that we're hoping that show up are uh, basically small to medium sized businesses, like the engineers that work there and. Um, was it uh, electrical engineers and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff? Yeah, product yeah. designers. Yeah, I mean, if if
1: electronics is your thing, if you're an engineer, please uh, swing on by and and hang out. Parker and I will be there. Uh, we can have yeah, some food and some drink. Yep. So it'll be it'll be a good time, and and I'm sure we'll continue talking about this, um, in in future podcasts, especially as we get closer
0: to when the event actually happens. Yeah, when happens. the event will happen. It's um. So what is the last Wednesday of April?
1: Uh get out your computer phone Parker. Yeah, I got my computer
0: phone out already. Oh,
1: this is a this is a an 18 plus age event. So Correct. Um, that. that would be the 26th of April. Great. Well, we hope to see we hope to see every listener out there. Yeah. <laughs> the,
0: the of April. Would, I think we'd fill up the building.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it would probably be pass fire code in Yeah, past fire code. So. Yeah. Um so, with that out of the way, I guess <laughs> <laughs> the required the, the required part of this podcast that we're required to say. Right, right. Mar-
1: marketing walks into engineering just before the podcast <laughs> and's like, here's a piece of paper. Say this stuff on here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we're actually really excited about it. Yeah, it's going be it, be to be a ton of fun. Uh, we've been working on it for what, the last two months almost? Yeah, yeah. Setting this stuff up and. It's going to be really cool, especially since, you know, Mouser's kind of sponsoring it. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping it's gonna, we just get a lot of people that just show up and just want to talk about what they do. And
1: Well, and, yeah. and, and we've generated a ton of really cool ideas for the future. Uh, so this is going to uh, evolve as we go along. Yeah. And hopefully it'll have a bunch of good information for people. It'll be a good way to meet, you know, other local engineers um, and just a good way to hang out with, the, with guys in the area.
0: Then, uh, so the past two episodes we've had guests, mm-hmm. so we haven't really been able to address listener questions. Yeah. Um, so uh, Christian writes, could you talk about differences in surface finishes or on, or on PCBs? I'm especially wondering what difference between Enig and other surfaces. Right, other than Hassel. Like Hassle or, um, right. or bare Copper, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Right, so, um, yes, we can talk about
0: that. I guess we will. <laughs> yeah, we, we do I have thought... some
1: information on that, Christian. <laughs> 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 so, actually, uh, so I have, um, I have a little cheat sheet here for Parker and I that has four different finishes uh, that well, are the all... common uh, finishes. Right, right, yeah. Uh, four, four common finishes that pretty much every board manufacturer is going to uh, offer. You uh, don't
0: have hassle on here, though
1: well uh because in his question he said everything else then uh, oh okay hassle and 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 we'll, i mean we'll, let's talk about hassle real quick it's like the cheapest yep uh and basically well, what it
0: second cheapest
1: well i guess the cheapest is just bare copper but yeah bare copper but, It would I be mean, corroded
0: the by the time you get it,
1: <laughs> yeah. Unless, I mean, they, unless they like cleaned it and vacuum sealed it right away. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Nobody really does bare copper. Uh, so so Hazel's the cheap one. Basically, they just melt lead solder onto the board, and then they take what's called an air knife, and they run that across the board and blow off as much excess solder as possible, uh, and it leaves it leaves lumpy solder all over your pads. So the finish is really crappy. It's not very level, uh, and it's leaded solder. So, I mean, there's a ton of disadvantage.
0: They have lead-free Hassle as well.
1: Well, okay, you can perform the same thing, but lead-free starts to get into the same cost as these other flat surface ones, so it just it sort of doesn't make sense. Correct. Uh, So Hassle has its place. If you're doing ultimate cheap... PCBs, through-hole stuff. Yeah, through hole stuff. Uh that, that it doesn't matter if it's leaded, great. You can you can get away with,
0: or, with hassle. You basically the only thing you're looking at is if you if it doesn't matter that your board is flat, and we'll go into that. Yeah. What why you want your board flat, mm-hmm. then hassle's fine, lead free hassle's fine. Um basically for through hole stuff, I would say hassle is completely acceptable. It is kind of nice to solder. Uh, well it's because I'll, it's already got solder or the solder already on the board pretty much well and
1: in a lot of a lot of ways um uh, guys who get other finishes will pre-tin pads you're effectively doing hassle yep. in in that in that way so um okay so let's take a look at some of the other ones in fact i have i have four down here uh and i'll just name off the four and then we'll kind of go through what what we got on here so there's immersion tin there's um, one called OSP, which is organic solderability preservative.
0: That sounds like it's organic. <laughs> Can you imagine walking to a grocery store and it's like, "Oh yes, we have organic solderability preservatives in our jam," uh, oh, uh, over at Whole PCB. Yeah, Whole PCB. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so then we also have uh, ENIG, which is electroless nickel immersion gold. And then another version of gold card called hard gold,
0: and there is also another version of uh, immer- it's immersion silver, right? Which is similar to enig and and immersion tin. So, so really, actually, what you
1: got with that is you have the material, you have yep. tin, silver, or gold, and then the type of finish or how it's applied, Correct. which is immersion or uh, plating or yeah. things like that. So, uh, so let's let's. Actually, before we get into kind of like pros and cons of these, uh, which ones have you used in the past?
0: I've used Immersion uh, Silver and Gold, Hassle, Hassle Lead Free, and apparently I have used OSP as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah didn't, didn't realize I it. didn't realize it. I didn't realize yeah, it at the yeah. time, but I have used it.
1: So, uh, yeah, I've, I've used a good bit of Hassle, um, I've used uh, OSP, and I've used uh, Enig. Uh, and And probably at some point in time worked with hard gold uh so so there's there's reasons for each one yep. but uh, uh, i guess let's let's go into that um, so immersion ten, what about immersion ten is special?
0: Do you, know? Are you asking me? I'd never used it before.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so so okay. Uh, on our cheat sheet, we kind of have some advantages and disadvantages of these. Um, so the advantages of immersion tin: the fact that it comes out flat.
0: Uh, it, well, I think pretty much any immersion technique is going to do that.
1: Sure, sure. Uh, so so actually, all of these techniques that we just explained come out generally flat. Yes. Uh, well, they come out flat. It, it, depending on the process, you can get flat and controlled thickness. Uh, so some of them actually don't aren't super great at controlling the thickness. Gotcha. In most cases, it doesn't matter though. Uh, so yeah. So uh, in fact, if there's, if we have advantage flat surface on here, for just assume that's on all of them. Uh, so immersion tin has no lead. Uh, so it's just a tin on top of copper. Uh, it's easily reworkable um, and it works really well for. Uh, uh, pin insertion for press fit connectors, so th- that actually um, just it's a little bit more durable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you've ever seen there's there's uh, some uh, high pin p- count press fit connectors that you actually press in with an arbor press, mm-hmm. uh, immersion tin actually works well for that.
0: It's probably also that it's tin is like soft enough or something where the the pins can dig into dig it. Dig in, yeah. Also, it al- it helps
1: if you're doing something like that to have combat- compatible metals.
0: Yep. Uh, so if well, you're pushing something in, you want it to sort of be the same metal. Well, that and you don't have dissimilar metals creating a charge like on a um, – I guess that would be good for if you are doing like thermocouples. Mm-hmm. And so that way you keep similar metals in the chain out to your thermocouple because thermocouples work by two dissimilar metals soldered together, and that creates a a uh, a voltage differential that you measure. Right. And so if you add more dissimilar metals in the chain, well, you're just creating more thermal junctions coming back to your amplifier.
1: Right. So you either have to cancel those out, either through signal conditioning on analog side or on the digital side,
0: you have to physically remove offsets, yes. and that just gets dirty. Yeah, because, like, if you actually get the connectors for thermocouples that use the same material that's in the wire right. for the contacts, and then that, that you know, connector goes onto your board, and now you're going from whatever metal that is to, you know, SAC 305 or or SN99, you know, ten hundred 100% or right. whatever, right. to whatever finish mm-hmm. you're using, then to copper, then all the way, you know, copper trace all the way across, and then back through your finish into the paste or solder. Right. Then into the leg of the chip and then <laughs> onto the gold wire lead. Right. And it's, all, of, it's, all of these have offsets. It's materials all the way down. Yeah,
1: right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, with, with tin, there's a, there's a couple things. I won't mention all of the disadvantages because there's a handful. But... Uh, uh, it it, it it you can damage it fairly easily um uh it it's it's uh, susceptible to tin whiskers mm-hmm. which uh that sucks in terms of shorting um on on uh fine pin pitch so um immersion tin to be honest i haven't seen it very much uh other than specific applications like connectors and things like that so um honestly the the big one out of this is is enig. Yep. That's that's what you're going to see the most. So um, the next one in the list is is the organic solderability preservative. Yep. Now this one this one's interesting because both Parker and I we had we've dealt with this in the past. We've seen this, but when we were doing research for the podcast to to put together this list, I uh, you know I saw this. As an option, I'm like, what the hell is that? And then looking at pictures, it was like, oh my gosh, I've seen that like a hundred
0: times. Yeah, you've seen it before. Yeah, yeah. I've it's, seen, it's, and worked with it. It's basically the stuff they put on. It's like this is very specific. The really cheap perf board, so you got it radio shack. Yes. That's what this goes on. Yes.
1: It's kind of got like a like it's a, a flat copper finish. It's a flat copper, but it's almost like a pink fleshy color. Yeah. Uh and it's weird. It's yeah, a good way to put it. But it's really flat. Yes. It's uh yeah, it's really really flat. Once again, it's uh an advantage is there's no lead in it. If mm-hmm. uh it's it's generally cheap. Um I don't I don't know if the organic aspect makes any difference to anyone, but free
0: range. Sure. Um <laughs> I think this is it, organic in terms of the compound has carbon on it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. of course. Not so, that it was, you know, Artisan they, created in a field in out in the middle a, of Wyoming. Gra- grass-fed PCBs. Grass-fed PCBs.
1: That might be the title of, yeah, uh, no. of the <laughs> podcast. There it is, done. Episode 59, grass-fed PCBs. or
0: uh, Organic grass-fed PCBs.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I mean, to be honest, uh, this one broken down all the way to its its bottom line. Uh, he, here's the, just cheap. It's cheap. If Radio Shack has it on their perf boards... It is the cheapest option, yeah. or it was at the, whenever they manufactured. However many
0: billions they made, yeah. And how does it apply? Because is is it just sprayed on? It's organic, man. It's grown. It just grows on it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I
1: actually, I don't know. I, I the thing is, I've never actually made a board with this, so I don't know the process behind it. So. Mm. Uh, but, you know, we should actually post a picture of it because I guarantee you a lot of our listeners will look at a picture and just be like, oh, yeah, I've seen that a bazillion times. No, I, I've actually I, – I read somewhere that it's uh, it's also easy
0: to rework uh, and g- it's good for through-hole. You know, this, that's funny because you said the same thing about Immersion 10. It says reworkable. Yeah. But then in the Disadvantages, you wrote not good for multiple reflow assembly processes. <laughs> um, and so you can't – I guess for immersion tin would be okay for like reworking through hole. That's yeah, but not reworking SMT.
1: That's right. Gotcha. That's right because I think immersion tin, when it comes to its adhesion Mm -hmm. down to the board uh, on like surface mount pads, is not fantastic. Gotcha. But in terms of through hole crap,
0: it's awesome. Then OSP is not very good for through hole, but you see it on perf board.
1: Well, (laughs) that comes down to uh, cheapy, cheapy, cheapy. Yeah. Yeah. So. so that's a OSP. Honestly, that's more of an exotic one. You really won't run into that much. I wonder much. if you
0: just get that in a spray can.
1: O- OSP can? Mm-hmm. OSP on aerosol.
0: Not aerosol. Um, yeah, aerosol. Not a can. Propane. Propane. On uh, propane. Gotcha. Yeah, I okay, see where you're going with that one. Yeah.
1: Okay, so here's the big one. Enig. Uh, Enig is actually the most common uh, finish that uh,
0: is out there now. It's what we, at MacFab, we only do ENIG boards.
1: Right. Uh, you know, yeah, no, we do 100% ENIG Correct. on everything. Um, and, and actually, it used to be one of the most expensive, yep. uh, but but now just because it's so prolific and out there everywhere, it's actually incredibly cheap.
0: I think it's just the, basically, the fact that SMT is the way of life now. Yeah. You have to go with a flat surface, a flat finish. Yes, and one of the best ones is Enig, and so just the nature of it being one of the best ones, it just you know drives the cost down.
1: Well, and okay, so gold, you have fantastic corrosion um, resistance. You have uh, it's very easy to apply using a, um, uh, uh, a what is it um, electroplating. Well, they don't electroplate it. Well, oh, I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. Not in this version. Um, I mean,
0: uh, the E means electroless. You're right. You're <laughs> absolutely right.
1: No, no, no. My bad. Um, it, 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 it produces a very flat surface. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's easy to work on. And it's highly conductive. Yep. So it kind of just meets all the requirements there. Um, and and in general, it's fairly good at controlling how thick you uh you want to apply it it's not fantastic at that uh, okay. I was actually reading some articles on that. uh The control process has a lot to do with temperature and time and 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 how the boards are actually dipped into the the solutions regardless uh with with enough processes and and it's been around for long enough. You can control the thickness fairly well yeah most people don't care though yeah so uh, and, really
0: and in matter. a similar vein there's uh, electroless immersion silver, right? Which is the only difference is they use silver instead of gold, so it's slightly cheaper. You see that on some kind of like, uh, you see that on like fast turnaround boards. Yeah, they'll use silver uh, immersion. I don't know what the actual difference is. Silver is not as good rejecting you know corrosion
1: mm-hmm.
0: as gold, but I don't know if there's any. Other difference betwi- besides that, yeah well and and what's like is gold better for keeping it level for silver I don't know oh,
1: I don't know, I mean, technically silver is a slightly better conductor than gold, but there're but when if you look at like the uh the list of good conductors, it's like silver, gold, copper, and there's a couple other up in there, and they're all so close to each other, and how good they are that. Copper does almost as good as silver and gold, so uh you're really not getting a lot by putting uh the other guys I'd, i honestly i'm I'm not entirely sure what the massive benefits of silver are
0: yeah it might be other gold.
1: than cost
0: yeah i it might be just cost, and then it probably goes down to corrosion where gold has a way longer shelf life than than the silver does
1: right and and Enig is getting so cheap nowadays, yep yeah. Uh, it just works out really well, um, and and really the the amount of gold that's on the board, I mean it's it's in the couple microns uh, yeah, thick, a couple so atoms it, thick. Yeah, it's 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 really it's not that thick. You're not really getting a lot of gold on there, uh, but it just creates a protective layer across the top that's incredibly flat. So yep. there you go. Uh, and then the last one we have on this list is is hard gold, which is effectively. Uh, you take Enig and make it thick yeah and you have hard gold uh and the reason why that's even an option uh is because enig even though it's fantastic it it still can succumb to uh um physical abuse damage. yeah physical damage uh so hard gold is is basically a thick version of Enig and it works really well for card edge connection like p c i connections in your computer that would be hard gold yep uh, so uh, if if you have a part of the PCB that's going to receive abuse on a regular basis, you would go with hard gold.
0: Yeah, basically edge connectors for cartridges, so like NES cartridges, that kind of stuff. They use hard uh, they use hard gold on that edge, and usually it's applied in a certain area. It's not over your entire board. That's right. So usually you have ENIG on most of your board, and you say this area needs to be hard gold.
1: Right. So they mask everything off and do a slightly different process in that area.
0: Yeah. Or just leave it in the tank longer.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but why would you want a flat surface? Why isn't Hassle the best thing in the world? Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Now you're getting into some fun stuff. Yep. So why not, Parker? Because it's all about clo- being coplanar. That's right. For surface mount parts. Um, it's even more so for, like, BGAs and stuff, but... Even for, like, SOSC packages and stuff, when you put paste down and put a part down, a lot of times for hassle, you'll have a couple pads that are really thin or light on on Mm tinning. And if it reflows, there might not be contact or your, your, um, your toes of your part might be floating above the pad. That's right and you won't get really good reflow. It's, you also get a, um, a lot of uh, tombstoning of, of chip packages, like 042s, 0603s, et cetera, et cetera. They will actually tombstone a lot faster. Yeah. Or not faster, but you'll have more of them.
1: Well, and, and it kind of depends on who does your hassle. Yeah. I've seen some hassle where it comes out fairly flat, and I've seen some where you run your hand across and it's, it's like braille, you yeah, know? yeah. It's yeah. wavy. Uh, and so... Um, Surface tension, when it comes to solder, is absolutely our friend in the contract manufacturing yes. business. Because uh, when a, when a part goes through a the uh, the reflow oven. It's usually pulled into the most optimal position yep. for all the pads. Uh, in fact, when you know, in, in some cases, we hand-place components on our PCBs, and a human hand is never going to be as accurate as our pick-and-place machine. Correct. And so, you know, they might be slightly cockeyed or, or a little bit angled off, but surface tension of the solder is going to pull it in. Well, with hassle, maybe not.
0: Yeah, Then that goes down to, because we can control how much paste goes down That's right. with our, my 500 machine or with a stencil. You know pretty accurately how much paste is going down on those pads. Mm-hmm. If you have, e- like, Enig finish, which is flat, you know that that's the only material on the board that's going to create surface tension. And so both sides of the part will have equal surface tension, and they pull the part straight.
1: That's right, if no tombstoning.
0: Have, yeah, and no tombstoning. If you have a hassle finish, you will have a most of the time you will have an unequal amount of tin on each pad you add your equal amounts of paste we still have an unequal amount of basically wetting ability right of that of that area and so it will pull one way harder than the other way
1: so you know if if you're if you're building boards by hand or you're doing all through hole stuff hassle might work well for you yep but uh one one situation where it's absolute garbage is uh If you have like a power pad or a thermal pad that's underneath the chip uh and if you can't control the thickness of that pad, oh yeah you're, you're, get, you're almost guaranteed to have floating pins
0: yeah that pad is though that part's just gonna be floating on that that center pad
1: right so so once it reaches two hundred and what seventeen what what whatever wherever uh uh solder melts uh depends on the on depends the on the yeah d- uh, so, so, somewhere above two hundred c uh in that range. Oh even even if you know the, the solder actually fully melts, the part still might rock and roll on, yep. on whatever. So it's just there's just no guarantee with hassle.
0: No. And I went on way longer for just one question. <laughs> it's a good question yep. though. And uh if anyone else has any more questions, send them in. Podcast at macrofab.com or at macrofab on Twitter. That's right. All right, so Projects that we've been working on. Yep. Um, I've been working on this side project with Spooky Pinball, uh, trying to get our new system working. Mm -hmm. And since we're kind of going towards, uh, like, HD video for the the dot matrix display, basically getting rid of the dot matrix, we put in an LCD with the previous version, and we're driving that with a FPGA Mm -hmm. to simulate a dot matrix. Okay. Basically because it's cheaper than we're a dot matrix just drawing a dot matrix Yeah, we drawing off. a dot matrix on an LCD screen. Sure. It's, it's less expensive than a actual dot matrix display. Um, That's actually really funny. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I, actually, the main reason that it's still a dot matrix on that is there's a memory. Uh, the uh, parallax propeller, which is what we're using for the audio video part of the pinball machines doesn't have enough memory to do higher-resolution graphics. Huh. And so we're basically it was like a crutch to hobble along on. So we're fixing that by basically axing the parallax propeller and right. going with a Raspberry Pi 3 to do the audio video. And that's great. It outputs HDMI, mm-hmm. all that good stuff. Problem is the LCD screens we use, We have to get a converter board to go from HDMI to the LVDS signal the panel wants. Yeah. And those are like uh, about 25 bucks. So, not too expensive, but still 25 bucks. Right. So, we're trying to cost that out. Okay. And you're going to make your own? No. um, The Raspberry Pi 3, through its GPIO, supports um, a parallel display interface. Oh, really? And so, it's basically a Ginormous wide parallel uh, parallel bus mm-hmm. that's got all your red, green, and blue signals. Yeah, in uh, parallel. So we're, the panel we use, the LCD panel, is actually an RGB six six six, which is six bits of uh, Excuse me, six bits of red, six bits of green, six bits of blue, mm-hmm. and then it spits out. Uh, and then it also needs like um, uh, horizontal sync, vertical sync, and a pixel clock. Yeah. Well, the Raspberry Pi happens to support RGB 666 natively. So all we have to do is go from that parallel display interface to an LVDS chip, and bam, we're done. Right. Wow. Okay. Supposedly. That seems really easy. Uh, supposedly. Deceptively easy. Deceptively easily. Um, so I made some boards um, to basically it's like it plugs. What do they call Raspberry Pi add-ons? Hats. 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 Oh, that's lame.
1: Why can't they <laughs> call them Plates. Why are they called shields on an Arduino? Well, because of the Pi plates. No,
0: continue on. Continue. <sighs> that, that was that was terrible, Parker. <laughs> um, so the chip I'm using is the TI DS90C365A, which is a basically an RGB666 parallel display interface to LVDS converter chip. Oh, so you just give and it power and just dump all the signals into it? Into it, and Bob's your uncle, and like Flynn,
1: electronics are just becoming <laughs> Lego blocks nowadays. Just find whichever color and size you need and drop
0: it in. Drop it in. Yeah. Um, so we'll see if this works. I'm hoping it does. I got the boards. I'm still waiting on the parts. Should be good. How, how much is the? Uh, how much is that chip? A dollar fifteen quantity. No, that's not bad. First. Twenty-five dollars. So wait, are you making a little
1: uh, plate for yes, it yes. for the for the pie? Yes. Okay, I'm
0: making a plate for the pie. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, that's cool. Yeah, because all you gotta do is like tweak the config text file that's in the Raspberry Pi and reboot it, and boom, it'll start doing it.
1: So it, uh, all the GPIOs are already defined for it.
0: Yeah. It actually these are alternate functions for the GPIO ports. Oh, so all you have to do is route them to the chip. No, you basically just tell the Linux kernel on boot right. to basically use those as its inter- display interface. Right, but a, on Instead your the board, you just,
1: you just grab whatever GPIOs. No, the ones
0: pass. that are have the right – you have to write yeah. them the right way. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. course. But, yeah. I mean, that's, that's stupid simple. Yeah, basically it goes <laughs> straight from the Raspberry Pi header into this chip and then out of this chip into our LVDS connector. That's it. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh,
1: what's, the, what's the power supply range on that? on um, which one on on the uh the uh, converter yes. chip
0: 3.3 3 volt nice yeah can you power it right from the no because the, the LCD screen needs 12 volts right um so 12 volts come into the board and it's got two regulators one is 5 volts that spits it out to the pi mm. and then it has its own on board 3.3 3 volts to power that chip and the screen logic oh, okay. okay so i kind of separated it out a bit to hopefully kind of Current paths nice and clean.
1: Yeah, I would think that the 12 volt you'd want separate from the pie. Yep. As much as you can.
0: Yeah. I did pretty good on isolation. It's a four layer board, but I put all the signals on one layer. Yeah. So it's got signals on top. Actually, I probably should have sandwiched them. Anyways, I put signals <laughs> on top, then it's ground, three point three volt ground. Okay. So I should have put it inside. Yeah. I probably should have done ground, signal, ground, 3.3 volts. Yeah, then, I mean, you to have complete be, shielding. Yeah. Cause, and the, the thing about it is we're only running, like, a 60 megahertz <laughs> pixel clock. Mm-hmm. So it's not crazy fast that we need, like, all this quietness of the board. But I'm like, eh, it's only, like, an extra $20, 30 to get Rush 4-layer versus Rush 2-layer boards done. <laughs> so. Right. Well, cool. Yeah.
1: Um, so this week, well, actually, for 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 past couple weeks, um, I've been working on. Uh, I think we talked about it before. I've been working on kind of updating our uh, manufacturing line, and one of one of the aspects of that is getting new benches. Yep. Out on the floor. No so more used benches. No. Yeah. No more used benches. We. Uh, what's What's kind of nice is we've we've got a little bit of a new budget for our operations team and part of that budget is going into updating our our benches and getting automated and having some conveyors uh, for things. And well, now, more
0: conveyors than we currently have. Right. So, like, right. there'd be conveyors basically for all the benches.
1: Well, conveyors for the entire PCBA line from start to finish yep. we've always had conveyors up to the reflow oven so the paste jet the, the the printer and i shouldn't say always but for a while we've had we've had conveyorization now we're having an an a full proper conveyorized line yep. uh so uh, but along with that comes benches and one of uh one of the new kind of directives is to make things look nice effectively so aesthetics come into play uh, with this, so I designed some some benches in Google SketchUp because Google SketchUp is awesome, uh, and uh, the the um, material of choice here is eighty twenty. So eighty twenty is not
0: particularly cheap, but it is absolutely awesome to work with. Yeah, I was about to say, it's like what was the difference between buying an off shelf nice bench versus designing your own? Why why did you choose that path? Okay, so. It can't just because it looks nice. No, no, actually, it it, it wasn't. Um,
1: and and you know it's funny because when if you look at a bench, it's like, come on, it's it's a bench. You know, it's got four legs and a top. Right. Remember what more do you need? So uh, I actually I actually went out to our manufacturing floor and I pulled all of our operators together because, uh, well, I, I had a, I had a I had a chat with with everyone basically to figure out what they need to get their job done every day. What are just basic functions uh, that makes uh, a, an operator, regardless of your task, what are the, your basic functions to make your life easier? Uh, and and the, and most of our operators, in fact, all of them probably have worked at other contract manufacturers. Correct. Uh, and so they've had experience with things like various types of benches. And I got a cross section from everyone of hey this feature this little thing this you know this or that makes the difference uh and so basically i grabbed everyone's ideas kind of compiled them all together and found that the best way to meet all of their their requirements plus make it look nice was to build them okay from scratch so uh also chris our ceo um kind of really likes eighty twenty. yeah he does uh and so uh I, and i do too i think it i think it looks really cool and uh give me a welder and some square box to me and i'll make you the world <laughs> right, right.
0: <laughs> but eighty twenty will look nice and clean and sharp that's true uh and my and, square boxing will look nice if you paint it well yeah yeah i
1: mean you got to put a bunch of put, put a bunch of labor time into that grinder right <sighs> uh, well, grinder and paint makes me the welder More i, I ain't. yeah yep. that's right so so yeah so I've been building building benches which is a bunch of fun so uh, so I've have some stats yeah, here. yeah you have taken over our entire engineering area and and that will change probably tomorrow uh, so all eighty twenty connect uh, construction um, every bench has a one and five eighths inch plastic laminate tabletop okay uh, which is fairly beefy uh, and can the, the the goal is for these benches to last a long time yeah. Uh, especially because they're not particularly cheap. Um, so they're 60 inches wide by 30 inches deep, uh, and they have an adjustable height from 30 and 58 uh, inches to 32 and 58 inches. So you, two a, inch a two inch height adjust actually makes a big difference. Uh, so, you know, a difference in uh, how your chair can work with it. Um, they also all have uh, a bar across the the middle for uh, footrest, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it seems dead simple, but it's actually a big thing for people out on the floor. You're working eight hours a day on a little rolly chair, having one bar across to put your feet on makes a big difference. Um, so, I uh, I ordered all of the eighty twenty and got it in, and we got a ton of boxes of eighty twenty.
0: Yeah. So the thing is, you filled up one room with crates and pallets of stuff and then filled up with engineering with basically ginormous structures of 8020.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, uh the total length of 8020 that goes into one of the benches. Now this is just the bench part. This is not what sits on top of the bench. There's more 8020 that goes on top that basically um forms a um uh, like a shelf mm-hmm. for for um Lights and fixturing and a uh, fume extraction and things like that, but uh, just the the bench part is 40.33 feet of aluminum extrusion per every bench. So these things are pinning, of course, right? Uh, of course, of yeah. course. Uh, Leroy Jenkins approved benches. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's hoping that you, we they would our listeners would. Maybe know that reference, but
1: I'm pretty sure yeah you just I'm pretty sure out. a large amount of our listeners know that reference. Um, so, so each, each bench has uh, 42 angle brackets and 84 nuts and bolts. So I, uh, I did the tracking number on every package that came in and tallied up all the weight of all of the uh, boxes that came in based off of what UPS gave us and then i divided that by the number of benches and so each bench without the top just purely in aluminum extrusion nuts bolts and angle brackets is 68 and 5
0: yeah and they feel around that weight when you pick them up yeah so Cause they're pretty heavy so here, we'll post some pictures um of just, I guess you, we have, like, you built, like, a model bench.
1: I, yeah, I built I built one bench to completion, and I put the ESD mat and everything, and I set that out in the main area so people can see kind of what's Ooh, coming down the pipeline. Ah.
0: Right. So This is what Steven's been working on for the past month. <laughs> that and a lot of other <laughs> yeah, things. Yeah, a lot of other things, but uh, that was a joke. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, cool. So the RFO. Yeah. Uh, we have one RFO this week. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um this one's I thought was really interesting. And I saw the article and I'm like, this is going to be either really clickbaity or not. Okay. Uh, particles from outer space are wrecking havoc on low-grade personal electronics. Oh geez. I, this sounds clickbaity. <laughs> yeah. So but there's actual science. Well, not really science. I couldn't find the paper that, that they were talking about in this So there's no, there's no science. There's no I couldn't find a source. It was on phys.org. So at least it has some Maybe some credibility. Maybe. I don't know. I don't, technically, anyone can register a .org domain, though. So no credibility. Yeah. <laughs> so so what, what does the article say? Uh, basically, it went into the fact that cosmic radiation and particles from outer space can, with enough energy, hit your device that's not shielded, flip a bit, and cause your OS to crash. Or your device to crash.
1: Well, okay. And, so you may I, ha- and, and, but, but that, absolutely, that could
0: happen. Yeah, and then actually, um, that some of these signals, they, what they talk about, originate outside of our solar system, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, and they call a single event upset.
1: Really? Yeah, an That's S- SEU. For Oh my gosh, they have an acronym
0: yeah, for S-E-U. it. Oh SEU. But they called it an upset. But how how <laughs> can you detect that? So apparently they did there's some testing okay. that they did. Um the I cannot pronounce that. Well basically Cypress semiconductor. I okay. can't pronounce the people who did it. Um but basically they did some testing to see how prevalent this would be. Okay. And the results were published in the 2004 Electronic Design News. Um, I haven't found that article yet either. Okay. 2004, but that's like pre YouTube, so yeah. it's really hard to find stuff on the internet that's pre YouTube. Okay. Um, a simple cell phone. And this is a simple cell phone in 2004, so it's before the iPhone. Oh yeah, no, this like, was the Nokia brick. Yeah, Nokia bricks. That was the name of the game back then. Um, with and this is funny, 500 kilobytes of memory. <laughs> which is like nothing we have now in our pockets. Right. Um would have one potential area uh, error every 28 years. So wait, and there uh, what is that meaning that there's enough cosmic
1: radiation Ition. such that you would hit one
0: bit or one you'd have an, a, a, some errors. So an error regarding the a SEU. <laughs> yeah. A Single event upset caused yes. by outside influences. Uh-huh. Once every twenty eight years. Uh, okay. Okay. So, and that the, uh, was the first one. A router farm. This is actually really funny. A router farm. They don't wait, wait, wait. To hang on, hang on. I got. Go I got to
1: say something real quick. Okay. I. I. Last month I turned thirty. Uh huh. I have not had a piece of electronics. For twenty-eight years of any
0: sort, exactly. <laughs> well, that's just saying that the given the odds, it would take twenty-eight years to get a event on average. Well, yeah, it's so a- it could happen the first time you turn on your phone. Well, within 28 years, the clock is ticking, effectively. No, no. It could happen right when you turn on your phone. Right. Just the Sometime odds are it will happen within 28 years. Right, right. Yes. I, I, I see what you're saying.
1: Yeah. But the, but that that sort of feels like those uh, those specs you see when you look at, like, proms when they're like, you can only write to this 100,000 times,
0: or, you know. That actually is true. I've it, actually it, worn out proms before. How have, uh, well, okay, okay. We were trying to. Yeah, we just yeah. wrote, a, wrote to, and it. only took actually like three days or so to burn out ten thousand read writes. Well,
1: yes, but okay, <laughs> okay. How about a better one? How about an SD card for a guy on a, using it on a
0: camera? You know, like that, actually, that would take a while. No, actually, actually, a lot of professional uh, photographers take especially sports, go through SD cards because they get really close to the limit and they just toss them.
1: Well, okay. Yes, but what I'm saying is it's difficult to do.
0: It's not, like, everyday use. But it's not unheard use. of. And actually, like, solid-state drives that you put on your computer, mm-hmm. people are already hitting the right limits on those. Well, that's actually kind of easy, if you ask me. Just Especially if to- you have a swap file or a page file on your computer. Yeah. Well, okay, back to this thing. Yeah, right, right. Um. A router farm, which they don't use anymore. That's like DSL and dial-up. Yeah. Um, A router farm used by a service provider with only – this is only 25 gigabytes of memory, (laughs) only in 2004. Yeah. um, Will actually get an error in the memory once every 17 hours. Oh. So that's actually up there. Yeah, yeah. And that's a potential networking error is what they're talking about. So they would get a blip – probably somewhere in a wire that causes a zero to go to a one or one to go to zero in the communication. But the thing is TCP has, it's pretty robust. So it's like, eh, you lose a packet. Who cares? Right.
1: right, That is the kind of the whole point. You'll get the next one. Yeah.
0: Well, it's kind of the point of the, of the internet protocol uh, TCP is that it doesn't have to get everything. Right. Right. Um, and then a person flying in the airplane at 35,000 feet, where radiation levels are considerably higher than at sea level. Yeah. Who is working on a laptop with 500 kilobytes of memory, <laughs> <laughs> uh, may experience one potential error every five hours. Okay, that's that's significant. So if you're f- a transatlantic <laughs> flight or a transcontinental flight, yeah. you'd probably experience an error due to cosmic radiation. Well, you know, so yeah, well. Now won't make your computer crash depends on what bit it flips. Every, every time I fly
1: internationally, I bring my 500-kilobyte laptop, and I make sure that it reads the entire memory. Oh, at once, And yeah. then reads it back. Well,
0: actually, it would be even worse now. Just to now. check. Well, it would be even worse now because your laptop's got, like, 16 gigs in it, and Windows alone uses, like, 7. <laughs> That's right. So... Just that alone, your computer yeah. is probably more susceptible. to You this. turn it on and Windows is like, "Thanks." Yeah, <laughs> but I guess it depends on what bit it flips. Yeah, because it could flip a part of memory that's not being used, so it doesn't matter. Or it could flip something that's, you know, has an error check. Yeah, and so that's fine. It's flipping the ACT bit. Oh yeah. Yeah, and then and then everything gets screwed. Yeah, yeah. Um, Basically, at, when you finish reading the article, um, the engineer's bottom line. So, what is your bottom line? Wait, 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 really, wait. Don't, wait, don't wait, leave wait, theirs. Could it be possible,
1: wait, get this, for, for a cosmic radiation ray to flip a protection bit in, in, a, in an MCU and then you can
0: actually read back? Everything. I mean, technically, technically, technically that's, possible. that's possible. Yeah. So. But, yeah, there'll that, probably be a lot higher energy event than flipping something that's supposed to be temporary. Well, and and the rarity. Because you've got to think it. about... The probability like, of that happening is like ridiculous. DDR RAM <laughs> is basically a charge. There's a tiny little capacitor that they either charge up or don't charge, and that makes it a 1 or 0. Well,
1: effectively, the gate... Of a FET, or of a CMOS FET is the capacitor that's yeah. just basically stored up and has nowhere to go.
0: Yeah, and so that that's why, like, DDR RAM, you have to continually refresh it. Yeah. You have to read and write, or you lose all your ones. Right, right, <laughs> right. Um, so that's why it's more susceptible. That's why they keep talking about memory, mm-hmm. not hard drive. Because hard drive, you have to magnetically flip that bit. Well, back then. And so it's very hard to get that much energy to do that Mm. by cosmic radiation. Probably the same thing inside your CPU. You have to drive a gate with some energy to make it open or closed. Yeah. Same thing.
1: Well, Uh, but a solar flare event or if a pulsar or something were to kind of sweep by the earth. That would just cause everyone to be screwed up. Oh, know? yeah. That would just cause oh, yeah. everything to yeah, shut down.
0: They, they talk about on, like, those shows of, like, the ways the world would end. Yeah. Um, the History
1: Channel's, like, Apocalypse. Apocalypse Now. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Um, they
0: talk about um same thing where, like, a quasar or something, yeah. but um, high, high burst gamma radiation right. events, and they've been able to measure these out there, mm-hmm. but if one struck Earth, we're boned. Well, it's
1: not. Yeah, no. If, if one of them were to strike Earth, uh, it's not that. It's not no, that we, the no. electrical grid would go down. It's just the entire atmosphere would be stripped off. Yeah,
0: all the ozone's gone. Yeah, and so right, it's like okay, yeah. we we're fine here in the bomb shelter. Right. We wouldn't even know until we went outside and immediately got a sunburn. <laughs> you know, and everything just nuclear holocaust outside. It's like oh, let's go oh, back downstairs and, and drink more some more beer. beer. <laughs> yeah, cheers. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, they say the engineers' bottom line. This is a major problem for industry and engineers, but the general public shouldn't worry about it. Yeah, I, I guess mean, they haven't worried about it's it. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. But it's one of those things. Do you worry about this when you design your your synthesizer? No, no, no. And and actually, I took a class.
1: Um, gosh, I don't remember exactly which one it was. Uh, but but our professor, we looked at how many. Transistors were in a processor, and we looked at an error rate of transistors working or not, just generally a failure rate, Mm -hmm. and it's pretty much guaranteed that there's transistors that are just not working in your processor at any one point in time. So you have way more of an error rate due to just silicon process than cosmic rays. Exactly. So to
0: be honest, I don't care. It's not going to affect me right Um, now. You know, I actually just came up with a crazy idea. What's that? Okay. So, you know how they have, this is kind of like an atomic clock where they have, like, you know, they are counting the pulses of the electrons on, what, a cesium atom? Mm-hmm. Is that yeah. how atomic clock works? Rubidium or CD, cesium. Yeah, something like that. Well, what if, and, and then going off this cosmic radiation, because the first thing in my mind, I'm like, what if you put a cosmic radiation generator in your synthesizer? And I'm like, Parker, that is absolutely stupid. <laughs> yeah,
1: that
0: is. Because it's not <laughs> a cosmic gen- radiation generator. It's just right. a terrestrial <laughs> generator of just radiation. a plutonium in here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so and, I'm like, okay, what if instead of that, I'm thinking in my brain, what if you usually put a you neutrino so. detector? Is it neutrinos that just bombard Earth all the time? Yeah. Yeah, so what if you just put a neutrino detector and that created your clock cycle for your synthesizer?
1: Well, okay. Yeah. So How per, rad would that be if That, that would be m- that would be rad if you had a neutrino detector that was small enough to do that, you <laughs> well, would be the richest person on
0: earth. I don't know how big one is.
1: <laughs> there's there's one, I believe it's in Japan, and it's like this monstrous uh, chasm under the earth that's like
0: I don't know, like two miles under the earth. It's this huge you, thing. You need to submit a like a twenty-page paper of like I need a clock signal from this for my synthesizer, and that's like twenty pages yeah, of like right. like a doctorate that you you yeah, give to right, them. Right. And I bet you if you did that, they would approve it. Um. Yeah, and they'd say
1: like, please go find some neutrinos for me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. That's like you're actually counting cosmic radiation and that becomes your pulse feed into your I mean I guess you could do it with a a sensitive enough Geiger counter yeah the problem is cosmic
1: radiation isn't predictable enough that's the point to just have it unpredictable yeah Uh, I guess for just random
0: noise (laughs) yeah so one of the commenters on this article yeah has a posted a link from Intel is it Intel let me look real quick yep Intel so back in the day, back when it was like semiconductors was a new thing, and they were trying to Intel was trying to figure out why they were getting random errors and their in their CPUs. And this goes back to your your you know sometimes transistors just don't work. Right. Things. Um, and so they created the world's largest lead safe. And their idea was if we make two board two computers, mm-hmm. put one in the lead safe, one outside. The one in the lead safe is protected by cosmic radiation, effectively, and will have less errors. And they found out both have the same amount of errors. And there's actually alpha particles being generated by the encapsulation of, I think it was one of their transistors. Let's see. Wait, was, it, was the transistor breaking down? No, the transistor in- the encapsulation was made out of a radioactive material, oh. and so it was bombarding it <laughs> it's with, its own with alpha particles. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, wait, but here's the thing: uh, did, did a thorium. Th- yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It was uh, alpha particle emissions from thorium, which was in the was inside the encapsulation material. So, like, what they put on the package, they had some thorium in it, and that was causing alpha particle bombardment of their CPU. Die. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, this is what's really getting to me right
1: now about this. Like, I, I would love to check out the validity of this comment. Uh, I mean, I, I, sure, it could be tr- totally true. But the thing about it is, like, the management at IBM, he said, "IBM." Oh, sorry, Intel. Intel must have trusted their engineer so much because there had to have been some engineer who was like, yeah, we need to build this really big lead box <laughs> and put stuff in it because well, they magic know. space rays are coming and messing up our computers and we need to test that. I mean, that'd be cool to do. And, no, it's totally cool. But like
0: management w- must have been like, yeah, sure. That sounds great. Let's do it. You know, well, like, that's crazy. I'll put it this way. <laughs> if they built that lead box, they can just tell their customers, hey, we can't do anything about it because it's constant radiation. What they actually found out was thorium is in their encapsulation material and they can't get rid of it because thorium is kind of in – I guess with enough money, you can purify the encapsulation material enough. But basically, they just decided to design memory that can withstand the alpha particle bombardment of the encapsulation material. Huh. So.
1: That's crazy.
0: Yeah. Engineering. Yeah. That's – it. that's – I'll put it this way. The early electronics, the 60s, that's a pretty crazy time. It was a, the wild west of all <laughs> The wild west of ideas of how to test shit. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Especially, like, you build this entire room out oh, of so lead, and then the results are negative.
0: Negative, yeah. Or, yeah. So guess how much this safe weighed? Oh, oh. You just read it off the page.
1: Come on! I was gonna look really smart. You you huh. messed it up. Something like what? I don't know. Twenty five tons. Yeah, that's
0: exactly <laughs> what it was. I wonder how much lead that actually is. Well, I guess twenty five tons. Twenty five tons. Ah, <laughs> <worth of it. laughs> uh, and I guess with that, that was the engineering uh, MacFab Engineering podcast. Yeah. Episode fifty nine. Yep. Oh man, almost number sixty. Uh, We were your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Sorry for the long episode. It was good fun, though.